You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb with the man himself, Tim McCormick. And uh, Tim, you know, rolling into the basketball season now uh, in in conference play. Uh, you know, the Wolverines, you know, every year is going to have, every season is going to have its adversity. And now Michigan, this is going to be us talking about them losing, dropping a couple of games in a row uh, in this early season. Nothing to panic about, uh, and I know you're you're big on perspective, uh, but this was always going to be something that the team had to deal with, a little bit of adversity here earlier in the season. Yeah, and Sam, thanks for bringing that up because I do love the word perspective, especially for Michigan basketball fans um, and football fans too. That's important. Yeah, if you're upset that Michigan has lost three or four and is struggling with some slow starts and the offense gets a little bit stagnant at times and they're not going to be in the top 10 this week and and it looks like they may not win a Big Ten title, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for a frustrating year. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of reason to be realistic and optimistic for the future. And this is a, an entertaining team that plays really hard. And and they're going to have an excellent season. I want to re- remind everybody of a couple of things. Michigan started out the year unranked and had so many question marks. You know, they lost the best coach in school history. Um, he, and he left at a horrible time, you know, the worst possible time. And the team lost their top three players and returned nobody that averaged double figures. They hired a high potential coach with no D1 experience. And that is huge. So the learning curve is steep for everybody. And then when you look at the team, everybody's got a new role. You know, Xavier's now your best player. Livers is your top scorer. Teske, he lives at the top of the scouting reports for opponents. That's hard. Brooks is now a starter. Wagner's a freshman. The Julius, Johns, Castleton are now key rotational players. Juwan is the, the head coach for the first time in his career. Phil Martelli is an assistant coach. So I think it's so important to be patient and, and have that word perspective on what's realistic. And right now, Michigan's got two top 20 wins this year. They're, they're top 20 in the country, probably top four or five in the big 10. They've got a chance to, to be a, you know, what a four or five, six. I'm not sure. Uh, and then they can get to the sweet 16. So all of their goals are in front of them. And I think, I think it's really an entertaining team. Yeah, and we're starting to see some of the some of the things that we anticipated being issues with this team kind of rear kind of rear their ugly heads, and not the first time this season, but just the first time where, over the course of a couple of games now, uh, you know they have led to losses, and now three of the last four games that that's been an issue, and so let's get into the game down in Champaign, Tim, because before that contest, I think it's worthy of note. When we talked about it, you you warned people that this was going to be a tougher game than many uh, expected, that Illinois is a better team than many people thought. And you actually told me, uh, you know, now I can share with people, said, you know, Sam, they're going to they're gonna drop this game. They're going to lose this game. So what did you see? What, what made you say that, number one? And, and number two, you know, no need to even question, uh, but just get into how the game played out like you thought it would. Well, I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Uh, yeah, you're right. The, the outcome to me was highly predictable. It, it went exactly how I felt. Michigan is going to play hard. That's what they do. But I don't think they're quite ready to win in that physical environment. Um, you know, Everybody talks about Bloomington and West Lafayette um, as the loudest, toughest environments. I would put Champaign right there. They, they, their fans know basketball and they're loud. And, and, and I, look, I, I knew that the Teske and Simpson livers, they, they understand how hard you've got to play, but I didn't think that Michigan's young guys 
would would be as impactful as they needed to be. I don't think Michigan at this point is a physical enough team as we saw. Kofi Coburn is is a you know he's a really really good kid, and um, I watched him at the top 100 camp. His improvement has been immense. Uh, 44 points in the paint for Illinois, plus 16 second chance points. I mean that mm. that is a massive number. Michigan was was pounded on the glass, and then also I have concerns about their ability to make three point shots in hostile environments. You know, they're they're really good shooters when their offense is clicking, but if it's not, I, I think that there are some major concerns. Yeah, your your point about physicality, and this is what that's what Jawan really hit on after the game. He said, look, we, we are a better defensive team than this. Uh you know, you you give up you give up, you know, points in the paint like we did in this one. Forty four points in the paint. Uh, you get out rebounded by 16 and, and, you know, give up 16 second chance points. That is not a recipe for success. And so, you, I, hey, I was impressed with Kofi Coburn, a, a double double, 19 points, four blocks, really did a good job of being a presence there on the defensive end in the middle. I looked at Michigan, I looked at a couple of things. You know, I, I thought that, that, that Teske did, uh, you know, I thought that John Teske. What was 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 he put up? I thought a, a a formidable opposition. I just don't think that he got much help, uh, especially on the glass, other than Colin Castleton when he came in the game. And the you know the minutes that I thought or the stat that I thought was most indicative of of the lack of help that he got on the glass. And I wonder if we will see this against uh, some physical and bigger teams. Tim, might we see? Teske and Johns on the court together uh, to kind of bolster their their recruiting prowess against teams like Illinois, of which I know there are a few. But I ask that question because in that game, you got 37 minutes out of Isaiah Livers. Uh, he led the team in minutes, Tim, and he had one rebound in that game. And that was a glaring stat to me. That, that's a, a really good observation on your point. I, I like the idea of being the big bad team that everybody has to game plan against. I think that Brandon Johns is unique where he can cover a, a two or a three or a four for a couple of dribbles. Um, I think that, that one of the things that, that has happened is that, and I didn't see this early, but in Champaign, I thought that Michigan hurt their defense when they miss shots mm -hmm. and and it's a it's a really good team that it doesn't matter if they're making or missing they still always play the same defense i thought that they got down on themselves when they started out what were they three for 18 or something it was, three for it was 18. ridiculous yeah. yeah and and if that happens if you miss a shot it almost has to be like you flip a switch and say okay my defense needs to get better now but michigan did not defend when when they were missing um, I think that that they could have possibly doubled the ball a little bit when it went inside the Co Kofi Coburn. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that scouting reports start to get deeper now. You know, there's a lot of film on Michigan, and, and these are really good coaches. Um, McDermott and Altman, and you know, they, they're they're going to look and see if there are any minuscule flaws, and they're going to go right at them. And so. Look, I'm not questioning Jawan at all. He he's game planned as the defensive coordinator for the Miami Heat to stop Steph Curry and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And and just as the other teams are learning about Michigan, Jawan's learning a lot about his team and how he can protect maybe a mismatch or a, a weaker defender. Um, I think that they've got great growth potential on the defensive end. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with with Isaiah uh, a little bit more, not because in, in the, you, you, no one guy loses a game, so I'm not saying it from I'm not singling him out from that standpoint. I'm pointing out something that you seized upon earlier in the in in the show in our in our podcast that you expected Isaiah Livers to to maybe be the you know, the, the the guy who leads the way for Michigan offensively. So I looked at the one rebound, uh, and the other part that stuck out is, you know, he played the most minutes. He played 37 minutes, and he had the fewest shot attempts among among the starters. And so, again, I mean, he, he was very efficient. He was four for six, 
two for three, but that was a contest where I felt like, you know, his importance on the team didn't didn't come out in 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 how often he was how often he was present in the game, whether that was guys getting him looks or him going to get those. You know how I'm sure your coach would tell you to as a big guy, you were most sensitive to this. Coach, the point the guy the guys aren't passing me the ball. And I'm sure your coach told you, well Tim, there's this thing called rebounds. Go get it. And mm-hmm. and just in this particular game it you know between the the few times his teammates got him the, the basketball and the few times he went and got it that was just a a low usage game or too low of a usage game for Isaiah Livers. Wow, that's it's an interesting point. And and Sam, I've never hidden my admiration for Isaiah Livers. He's one of my favorite players, and I think he has so much potential. But th- there's one one of two ways to look at it. The first is. He's got to he's got to be more creative. He's got to learn how to put the ball on the floor. He's got to run harder in transition. He's got to look for those mid-range long those long rebounds. He, he's got to find other ways. But I will say this that that I think that Isaiah is the type of player right now that he has a new role. And in the past he would just stand at the three-point line and the offense would find him. He he can't be that now as a top scorer. He has to be able to be more, more creative in, in his offense. And I, I will add this as well. Isaiah gets shots when Michigan runs their offense flawlessly, when the ball is side to side, when there's drive and kick, when there's a post touch and it goes out. That's when he's going to get his shots. And I thought that against Illinois and for long stretches against Oregon, the offense was stagnant. And everybody was kind of standing around watching Xavier dribble the ball. Um, and, and think about this. He took six shots against Illinois. Against Oregon, except for a, a three-minute stretch at the start of the second half, he was non-existent in his minutes on the offensive end. If you're the top scorer, that can't happen. Absolutely. And it's a great segue, Tim. And talking about that, that Oregon game, top ten opponent, Chrysler Center, and this was, though, another game, and we've seen it this season, where Michigan comes out of the gate slow. I don't think it was for lack of intensity. Uh, you know, this is this was a top ten, like again, like I said, a top ten opponent coming to Chrysler. These guys weren't flat. You know, I think they're ready to go. They just couldn't find it offensively, and that's despite in the first half of that game getting quality looks. They got good looks. Uh, they were. They even missed three dunks in the first half. You look over to the other side in Oregon; they're making a lot of a lot of contested shots, tough twos, threes with hands in, in a few threes with hands in their faces. Uh, and so, a tip you got to tip your cap to them for that. Uh, but it was it, it was certainly problematic problematic for Michigan that even with the quality looks that they got, they found themselves in a sixteen point hole at one point. Yeah, I um. I, I actually loved the Oregon game. I was on the road this weekend, so I carved out two hours in my hotel, no distractions. It really had a big-time feel. And I learned so much about this team and their upside. And, and remember, you can learn a lot from adversity. And, and I, I think that when you, when you um, go back to the word perspective, Oregon is a big-time opponent. You know, Gonzaga is probably the best team out west. But I would put Oregon as, as two or three. Um, a lot of people think that that Colorado or Washington are the favorites in the Pac-12. I don't agree with that. I think Oregon is. I think they've got a chance to, to be a top two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. I think they've got Final Four potential. And, and, and they're led by a stud point guard, Peyton Pritchard. He, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Archidiakono, who played at Villanova currently the, the the point guard for the Bulls, except that Peyton Pritchard is better. Mm-hmm. And and the Mathis kid, man, I, I have to be honest, I didn't know a lot about him, but he made big shots. And, and so what I saw from that game, what I learned is that Michigan got down 16 to a top 10 team and did not quit. David DeJulius can be a massive weapon off the bench. I loved the energy um, and you know what? One of the things that really, really uh, made me smile is down the stretch, 
John Teske was jumping up and down after Brandon Johns yes. grabbed an offensive rebound. And Ka- Colin Castleton was pumping his fist. That That is a really good sign of an engaged team. Yeah, so a couple of things. So, <laughs> you know, you're down in a 16-point hole. I remember thinking, man, they, they got to get Dave DeJulius. Uh, they got to get Dave DeJulius in the game and get some get some of those microwave minutes as I call them from yeah, him. Yeah. And I remember you saying that. Yeah, and and he and no sooner than I said that they got him in the game and he delivered. He he delivered 12 points in the first half. He had 12 of Michigan's 23 first half points. Uh and as I look at that in retrospect, I just wonder, you know, as they Earlier, right? Earlier? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you're reading my mind as yeah. as as they get, you know, more acquainted uh with, with the with the team and and how long it it might take for a guy to to or or the team to to come out of a lull i mean they didn't go to to dave de julius until the 1035 mark they were down by 10 points at that that point uh and i just felt like man with with what we've seen from them thus far and what we've seen from dave going to him a little bit earlier uh, in their offensive doldrums, that might be something that they take away from this moving forward. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. Uh, so Eli Brooks is an interesting player. He has some limitations, but he also is an excellent shooter and a solid defender. But but there there are going to be games that I think Dave DeJulius is going to be more productive than Eli Brooks. So if Eli is rolling, I don't have a problem with Dave DeJulius coming in at the 1035 mark. Um, but when Eli Brooks is, you know, when he's just kind of out there, I would go to DeJulius when you need a spark. And I, I would say this too, Dave DeJulius gets into people defensively. He's got that East side Detroit toughness. He's confrontational. And, and I think it would be a great idea to, to give Xavier Simpson a little bit of a rest and say, go, go ahead, Dave, you, you take Pritchard, let, you know, let's see what you can do. And that way Xavier can play off the ball. He can you know, expend a little less energy and he'll be fresher down the stretch because quite frankly, last five minutes, Pritchard lit up Xavier. Like I've yeah. seen no one do. And yeah. I think, I think Dave had no gas left. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to touch on that. Cause that is uh, in that matchup, you got to give Peyton Pritchard his due. He outplayed X, and you're right. He was able to he was able to outplay him uh, by by a a tangible margin, uh, more so than we've seen uh, you know any player really be able to do, especially in the Chrysler Center. Uh, but yep. you, I, I wanted to touch on on Brandon Johns real quick because you look in this game, and I know there are people that were pointing out to, to, to whether it's the end of regulation or it was the end of the game in overtime. Brandon Johns was on the floor, uh, and there were there were some fans questioning that. And I just, I, I, I'm not one to to say that that coaches are infallible. You can't question what they do. We just talked about when they put when they did they go to Dave DeJulius early enough. So it's not about not questioning a coaching decision. But this was one where I felt like Jawan absolutely was coaching the game because for whatever reason. Uh, and, and call it the the, the lineup that, that Oregon has. I mean, some matchups just aren't going to be great matchups as far as the speed and quickness is on, that's on the floor. Sometimes you can dictate with your size and make them have to adjust to you. But this is one of those games where Michigan had to adjust to Oregon. And Brandon Johns played two fewer minutes, Tim, and had more points, more rebounds more steals, more blocks than John Teske. I just thought he was more of a factor on both ends of the floor. Yeah, Brandon is getting better every game. And and it reminds me a little bit of a game during my career. Um, so I was the starting center, and and we had a guy named Ray Tarpley who was very young, and he was on the bench. And, and I could see him coming on and gaining confidence. I got in foul trouble in Columbus in the first half, and they put Roy in, and and he – took over the game. He was blocking shots. He was grabbing rebounds. He's running the court, mid-range jump shots, dunks. He took over the game. And I never really got back in. And and I, I remember that that Roy found something that day. And I really think that from that point on, he was like the best player in the Big Ten. He he was amazing. And and I see Brandon gaining confidence. 
and and it, it's a message to the other guys. You know, Isaiah Livers and and you know Franz. And there's there's a lot of quality depth on the front line now, right? Absolutely. And so so you've got. I mean, that's a great thing to have too because everybody seems very engaged. But Brandon Johns is taking people's minutes right now, and he he gives Juwan a whole nother weapon off that bench and, and that that's gonna he's gonna win games for michigan this year yeah absolutely i mean 22 strong minutes he was aggressive on the offensive end got to the free throw line i'm i was he, he missed those too late i was just glad to see that he didn't get too down on himself uh, that he was able to get back out there and, and still be a, a positive factor in the game and and just came up short with that tip at the end yeah i do want to get i do want to get to that but i know we have a a special uh, guest on this week's podcast. Want to get to that first? You got a chance to chat with a guy who was a defensive stalwart, a team leader for for Michigan, a guy who who's a pro, but who whose pro career uh, it, it 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 wasn't able to start on schedule because of injury. I'm talking about Charles Matthews. Yes, uh, uh, you know I'm not even going to call it a sad story because it's not over yet he's still writing the version of his autobiography. And after a, a really, really impressive career at Michigan, he led them to victories. He improved his game. And, and I saw him at the draft combine in Chicago last spring and he was tearing people up. He was a demon on the defensive glass. He, you know, a lot of guys go there and they don't want to play. They, they feel like they're, they're, you know, locked into the first round or they don't want to hurt their draft set. Charles was embracing that and and he was um he was moving up everybody's draft boards and and then he got injured and and so now rather than a story of of success and jubilation it's it's a story he's writing about resilience and bounce back ability and and I think that people are really going to gain a different perspective on the quality of Charles Matthews as a man and as a ball player outstanding well Tim uh, looking forward to it. Here is Tim McCormick with Charles Matthews. So our guest today is Charles Matthews. Tremendous career at Michigan. Two seasons, 13 points per game. What did he do? Well, all Big Ten. Big Ten tournament champs, Final Four. Congratulations for all you did, Charles, during your time at Michigan. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, so last summer, you um, last spring, you went into the NBA draft, and you had absolutely rave reviews. I saw you at the draft combine. Yeah. You tested well. You worked out. What in the world happened in Boston? <laughs> Crazy story, man. Crazy story, man. Uh, yeah, I was in the workout with Boston. was in Atlanta the night before. And as you know, like 10 minutes into the workout, I had to – ACL tear. So now I'm just rehabbing, you know, getting prepared to make a comeback. How is that rehab going so far? What What is a typical day like for Charles Matthews during rehab? Right, right. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I rehab about five times a week and uh, about three, three or four of those days is weightlifting as well. So, um, like tomorrow, for say, I'll rehab at, at nine, uh, rehab for about two hours get something to eat, rest, and then, you know, I go have an hour left after that. And then um, depending on how I feel, you know, I'll get some shots up and do some ball handling as well. So what's it been, about five months since the yeah. injury? Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little bit past five months. So, yeah, but it's roughly five months, you can say that. So does that mean we're seeing the 360s, or are you just doing some shooting and running? <laughs> no, you know, I'm doing a little bit of windmills, a little between the legs. <laughs> Good. <and I'm> just, <laughs> but, no, I haven't done none of that yet. I do shoot, I do jump, but no, nah, no, no 360s yet. All right, that's coming. Be patient yeah, with yeah. that. What What's the prognosis looking like? Will Will you be ready for the draft combine? Will you Will you be oh, a free yeah, agent? Yeah. How, how summer league? What does that look like? Yeah, I'll definitely be ready to go by that time next year. Um, right now, I'm just taking everything one step at a time, being patient and trying to come back 110. percent Honestly, Charles, you're from Chicago, and right. <laughs> I'm amazed. It seems like Every ball player from Chicago knows every other ball player from Chicago. So t tell us about your relationship with Jawan Howard. Yeah, it's a small circle. And, um, you know, Jawan actually went to the same high school my mom went to. Um, you know, they didn't know each other or anything. But, yeah, it was still just that 
that we had that in common as well. We come from the same area, but just about, um, so we understand each other as well. And uh, I'm a fan of him as coaching as a player, and he, you know, he was a fan of mine as well. So I'm definitely wishing him well while he's at Michigan. Yeah. Um. So, so when when did you first meet him? Um. Has he given you any advice or encouragement? Right. Well, I, I met Juwan before he actually, you know, was a coach decided to coach in Michigan. Um. I know him, you know, and then I'm have a relationship with Dwayne Wade, and he was close with Dwayne, and so you know we had that mutual talent plan for the Heat as well. But yeah, when I met him, you know, I've been back up to Ann Arbor, and been nothing but. You know, a family atmosphere. That's one thing that he constantly preach is that uh, you know, it's a family atmosphere. He want us to all feel welcome and comfortable to always be back there. And uh, you know, I really appreciate the hospitality he showed. During your Michigan career, John Beeline clearly had a major impact on your career. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. what you learned from him? He's a great teacher of the game. You know, um, you know, if you go learn anything, you go learn how to play basketball the right way, you know, how to make the right play, um, you know, make the right read. Um, you know, he used to say um, the next best shot is like the open shot. Like, it's not like person and everything like that. So he was always key on teaching us how to be students of the game. And then for me personally, he would just teach me, you know, how to how to grow and how to expand, you know, my horizon and become, you know, a well-rounded young man. Do you have a favorite John Beeline story you can share? Like good or bad? Ah, anything that's <laughs> anything that's interesting would work. Yeah, uh, I got I got a bunch. You know, I know Coach Beeline. Um, man, he he always was teaching us like history lessons. Like yeah, I was in film for. Like, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of tough, man. But I got I. It's a lot of crazy ones from him taking us out of practice. But like he's still like a loving guy and stuff like that. Do you do you keep in touch with your teammates? Who 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 are your boys that you, you played with that you keep in touch with? Yeah, you know, it's a it, we had a close knit bond while I was there. Um, you know, my team my, my teammates while I was there, we was all like brothers, and I, I speak to them like if it's not, I speak to one of my teammates at least every week, at least, and then especially through the social media, we can always keep in touch and uh, you know with past and former player players as well. So yeah, I'm always keeping in touch with the guy. Yeah, who do you keep in touch with the most? I talked to DJ a lot. Um, me and JP talk a lot. Um, I talk to all the, I keep in touch with all the guys now. I speak to Karis often. I speak to Jordan. It's tough. Mo, it's tough. I, I honestly speak to everybody. And then, you know, due to my circumstance, you know, those guys are always checking in on me as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that people don't know about you is that you're a foodie. You, you love cooking. Tell, tell me about that. That's fascinating. I am. I love eating as well. You know, that would probably be a funny story as well. So my first visit to Michigan, uh, Coach Beeline basically banned me from going to dinner with all recruits because, like, when I first went to dinner, I ordered almost everything on the menu. <laughs> but I ate it all, and that was a crazy joke because he just they thought I was just trying to buy stuff. I literally I just love to eat. I love food. And, you know, you can see my build. You know, I'm more of a slim guy. You wouldn't think that I love to eat the way I do, but I'm definitely a foodie. What what are your um what are your favorite meals? If you're if you're gonna cook a great meal, what what would you choose? For me to cook? Yeah. Uh, uh probably like like blackened salmon, like Cajun salmon. I I can make that pretty well. Um, you know, I make I make pretty good steaks, but you know, I feel like that's such a relatively easy dish. But you know, I say like uh, yeah, I make I think blackened salmon would be something that I would. Because I might catch people off guard. You know, you wouldn't just expect somebody to do that as well. I'll be in Chicago soon. I, I may stop by. Okay. Did you have a favorite meal in Ann Arbor? A favorite favorite restaurant? Like a restaurant to eat at? Yes. Uh, you know, we spend so much time at the gym. So, you know, majority of our meals came at the facility, but... You know, Frida was right up the street from my apartment, so you know I stayed up there. I stayed at Frida's, like, like I spent a lot of time at Frida's, believe it or not. And it's <laughs> like uh, I used to go to um, what's that? This spot called Sally's Up. I think it was on Liberty Street, but you know it was never a lot of people there. I don't know why, but I definitely used to go to, I used to go to Frida's and Sally's Up uh, very often.
So if I if I go to Frida's, give me a heads up. What do I what do I want to select? Uh, I get the uh, the beef Frida. Put the uh, I tell them to put guacamole on it, the bacon, and then uh, I get the uh, the hibiscus batita or something like it's something like that. It's like a, it's like a coconut smoothie. It's it's really good though. Strong. I like it. I like it. Hey, uh, Charles. So you played at Kentucky. Um, for 30 games as a freshman, John Calipari's your coach. What in the world was that experience like? Yeah, man, it was a hell of a ride. Um, I loved it there. Still extremely close with all those guys, close with all the coaching staff. Cal and KP, you know, they hit me up as soon as, you know, they found out about my um, injury. I didn't even know that. Hey, I don't even know about it. They didn't even hit the media yet. It's crazy. Who's, K- who's KP? Kenny Payne. Good. Okay. Assistant yeah, coach. Yeah. Him, him and Coach Cal, they hit me up immediately. Um, but yeah, it was it was great, you know, just learning, you know, how to how to get over yourself, and then just being about a like, team and seeing that you know you got to bring it every night because at Kentucky, you know, that's everybody's Super Bowl. So just being prepared for that's what I went through at Kentucky. I feel like that really helped me transcend and get better at Michigan. Who were your teammates at, at Kentucky? Uh well it was Tyler Ulis it was like we we everything ran through Tyler so you know Tyler Tyler was the most like headline and then Jamal Murray as well so him um, Scal was there with me Isaiah was there uh you know those are the guys on the top of my head I can think of that you know it's, that that other players would know being a basketball player in Ann Arbor th- there's a lot of notoriety people know who you are but it must have been a lot different at Kentucky how how can you compare the difference you know what believe it or not Michigan fan base was was huge just as well um, you know I feel like Kentucky is second to none when it comes to the basketball program but I feel like in Michigan just that brand itself is everywhere you go somebody yelling go blue but I was fortunate enough to get the best world, so I saw just, you know, how, you know, fans was just starstruck just whenever they see athletes at Kentucky and Michigan. When when you were at Kentucky, there there is a lot of notoriety. Do, do you have an opinion on the, the new story that's out of whether college players should get paid for their likeness, um, if, if people are selling and purchasing jerseys? What, what do you think about that, that, um, that new law? I definitely think they should, you know, be able to capitalize off, you know, this short window that, you know, you have to make money from this profession. And especially me going through an injury, I kind of have more empathy for those wanting to make money off their likeness anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely think that players should be able to, you know, make money off their own likeness as well as being paid by the, you know, the universities and um, the shoe companies as well. Mm-hmm. What are what are your goals, Charles, for the future? I, I know that that you're working really hard to rehab from this ACL. What what are your your long term goals? Same, uh, you know, my goals hasn't changed. You know, the circumstances just has. So you know, but um, still want to be a Hall Star. Still want to be a Hall of Fame NBA player. We want to be a champion. I want to be one of the best ever. So you know, my my mindset hasn't changed one bit. You know, um, if anything, it has made me want it even more now. You know, I I kind of get thrill out of adversity i kind of like when you know faced with a challenge i just want to you know prove myself right that i can overcome anything i think you can get there are, are we going to see you in ann arbor for any games this year yeah i'm gonna try to get up there for sure uh you know it all depends on you know my schedule uh, you know during the week i'll be rehabbing so if it's like a weekend game that i can get up there for i'm definitely going to be there Great Charles Matthews, great Wolverine, future NBA player without doubt, an excellent cook, and a very, very good friend. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. No, it's the least I can do. Appreciate you for having me. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! And we're back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, Sam Webb and Tim McCormick. And Tim, uh, again, you know, you did such a great job connecting with these guys. And, and as you said, it's not a it's not a sad tale with Charles Matthews. It's just one that is going to start a little bit later, is all. Yeah, I um I look back at my career. I had ten knee surgeries. 
Um, you know, some before my MBA career, some during, some after. But knee surgery is not, it's not an end all. Um, you know, it teaches you a lot of commitment and dedication. Um, and it really is, an, it's an exciting feeling when you overcome it and get back out there. And, and I've kept in touch with Charles throughout his process. We talk every month, um, every six weeks, whatever it may be. And, and I think he's going to be an NBA player. I, I think he's going to be in the league next year because people can always use somebody that can stop somebody. And he's also a really tough guy. And as you heard in the interview, high quality guy. And yeah, you know, he can cook. I, I like, I like a guy that can cook. <laughs> the ladies do too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's one of those things, Tim, where, you know, I'm sure he's looking at this, at, at this team this year, you know, thinking, oh man, I can help him there. I can help him here. I can help him there. They could have really used a Charles Matthews Saturday when Peyton Pritchard was going off because you know, like I do, uh, if, First of all, it's rare for Xavier Simpson to be having trouble defending someone, staying in front of a guy. But if you found yourself in that kind of pinch, you could you could put put Charles on him and be like, okay, well, if he's getting by X, he's not going to get by Charles. And Michigan just doesn't really ha- have that luxury this year. And yet, uh, with the way that Peyton Pritchard was going off uh, – you know, you wonder in retrospective, maybe you you run another player at him. I mean, I, I'm curious what you thought of of just how I, I don't think dominant is too strong a word. How dominant he was down the stretch. He was amazing, and it reminded me of of Luca Garza, um, just shot after shot, no no help, and and it worked against Iowa and didn't work against Oregon, and and I and I know that. Um, you know, one of the things that the Michigan coaching staff is going to break down, well, would it have been better to have Teske on the floor because he's a rim protector? And 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 really, I, I thought I felt bad for for X because he, he was just he, it was he was at Peyton Pritchard's mercy. There, there was nothing he could do. I did like the fact that Xavier took away his right hand. And that's one thing that I had a problem with with the Illinois game is straight line drives with the right hand is unacceptable. You know, if you force the guy to his left, his percentage goes way, way down. And and they did force Pritchard to his left quite a bit. But um, I, I would have looked at possibly double teaming him, makes him a passer, identify the weakest shooter on Oregon's team and double off of him. That's an option. Mm-hmm. Put Dave Julius on him. I, I, there, there's a lot of things you could have done, but – I really like what Juwan does on the defensive end. And so I think that there's going to be adjustments. And and also think about the, the overwhelming learning curve and the speed of the transition that Juwan's going through. There were a couple of times, Wednesday night in Champaign, um, Saturday against Oregon, where Juwan almost had a, a look of bewilderment like this. Because I think that college basketball can be more complicated than the NBA. The, the the zone, the matchup zone that Oregon runs is really complicated. It's like it's like a chameleon. It, it's always changing its look and its color and it's and and so in the NBA you just play man to man and you know you might switch up some things. But and then also you're going against guys that are phenomenal offensive minds. Dana Altman has has been respected for a long time for his innovative offenses and defenses. So. I am. Um, I think that I, I think that one of the most fascinating stories this year to me has been watching Juwan and his adjustments. And you know, he's got so much NBA offense, and and we're seeing little sprinkles of new wrinkles in the offense each game. So, I am. Um, I've had fun watching this. Yeah, I have too. I, you know, I felt like, you know, as I watched the game, I, I just felt like the the the. I never questioned the move with. With, with Johns, what I could see on the floor, if you you talk about something defensively, Tim, and I think you you, you kind of hit on a on a couple of different strategies that when when X is is clearly, uh, you know, is clearly struggling to slow Peyton Pritchard down, like you said, getting help from somewhere, whether you're helping off their weakest shooter, whether you're telling, even if it's it's Brandon Johns, you could tell watching him, he was focused on on 
on boxing his man out on rebounding. It was it was it was like they said, look, guys, we're playing them straight up. We aren't helping. That includes that includes you at the rim. So whether it's it's Teske in there or John's in there, it just seemed like they were saying, and this is I haven't talked to anyone. This is how it looked to me on the floor because I saw Brandon Johns focused on his box out, making sure that he was he was in position for the rebound. And if X got beat, he got beat. So to to me, it it did beg the question: Was it as he is, uh, you know, giving up these 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 assaults on the rim, albeit to 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 Pritchard's left? Uh, do you do you now start to have to run people at him, understanding that in the first half they were making you pay, they were hitting they were hitting shots from distance. Uh, Michigan did a better job. Uh, they still hit a few shots from from deep, but Mathis wasn't nearly the factor uh, after the break that he was before. So they they made some choices. It's just Pritchard made him pay. And one of the things that I wanted you to speak to, you know, why the guys love Juwan Howard. Here you had him telling Xavier Simpson, "Look, man, I believe in your ability to to go out there and and slow this guy down, and we're gonna win or lose with that." And he stuck with him. And then when it came time to take the final shot. Who had the ball in his hands, as you would expect with the point guard. But you didn't hear Jawan Howard after the game saying, hey, why did X take that shot? He said that was a good shot. I, I like that shot, and we got an offensive rebound opportunity out of it. I um, I, I like college basketball. It's my favorite sport, and, and I'll tell you why. Little things make a huge difference. Every single game, there's nonstop critical decisions. And at the end of the game, you can look back and second-guess so many things. Like, why didn't Michigan zone down the stretch? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, why? You know, I wish that they would have doubled Mathis earlier, not left him at all. Um, th- think about all the little plays in a one-point game that make a, a a a big difference. Eli Brooks turned his back against the press. You can't do that, and they gave up a three-pointer. What a huge play! Brandon Johns missed two free throws. Um, you know, three missed dunks and a missed layup within a two-minute window in the first half. Missed assignments on pick and roll coverage. I mean, no one is to blame for any of those. But when you look back at the game, there are 30 or 40 or 50 different things that could have gone a little bit different. And in a one-point game, man, that's that's really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was. Uh, the, the final play real quick, Tim. Um, I thought that – I thought when the ball went in the backcourt, and deep in the backcourt that they were off script from that point. Uh, play was blown up. Yeah, I thought the play was blown up. As soon as the ball goes that deep in the backcourt, now you're putting your point guard in a position that he has to go make something happen. So, I, you know, I don't think that, that you know, the, the criticism of that play is if it was drawn up that way is well placed because it was blown up as soon as it – as soon as the ball was inbounds. Yeah, and and um, you know the the only mistake there is there maybe should have been a screen. It was mm-hmm. just assumed that 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 Xavier could get open. Um, look, we've seen we've seen Xavier Simpson make that shot driving right all the time, but I'm here to tell you that was a tough shot. He went off his wrong foot. Um, he got a little bit too deep, and the angle wasn't great, and he had to shoot it over a long shot blocker and put it up near the top of the backboard. With that being said, they did the right thing by getting it off quickly so that there's a chance for an offensive rebound tip. And I really think it looked like like Livers almost blocked the tip-in attempt from Brandon Johns. Like They were both going for it, and I think that if Johns just was able to catch it cleanly, it would have been an easy lay-in. So, once again, just one of those plays that could have gone differently – and and I'd say I was 50-50 that was going to go in. You put up soft from that close up on the rim, usually goes in. It didn't, and, and it's a, a growth opportunity. Yeah, and that was one of the things that Juwan pointed out, you know, as he, he, he you know, X drove, he got a shot, tough though it may be, got it up off the glass, caught the rim, but he drew he drew an extra defender, like you said, that long shot blocker, which which clears the path for the offensive rebound. Which, like we, like you just pointed out, and as we, as we saw in that game, just uh, you know, some some shots around the rim that just didn't fall for Michigan in this game. So, moving forward, Tim, uh, you know, I, I guess a, as you talk about outlook and 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 ways in which you can grow from this game, we talked a lot about Brandon Johns. 
We talked about Dave DeJulius and maybe going to him earlier uh, in games to help you through uh, slow starts or help you get away from slow starts. Another thing that could help them moving forward, Tim, is, is Franz Wagner. Now two of the last three games, Franz is looking like the Franz we expected to see coming in. And that's great news. And when I, I was personally so happy because, you know, on social media, I, I'm sure you've seen it too. People are saying, well, you know, this guy can't shoot. He's right. not good. He's, right. And we're thinking, okay, you know what? There, there's a breakout game coming and all that talk will stop immediately because this kid is a knockdown shooter. He, he's got a beautiful release straight up and down, such good balance. And, and I, I am, um, I can't imagine what it's like to start your college career after putting your, your wrist in a cast for six weeks or whatever the, the length was. Um, he's, he's a big-time performer. He can get to the rim much better than I anticipated. He's very smart on the defensive end, and he gives you another shooter. And, and so I think that the, the outlook is fabulous. They go nine deep. They have, have the ability to play fast and slow. I still think the most underutilized resource is John Teske in the post game. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's a, a really good idea to to try to to learn to get the ball inside and use Teske as that facilitator because what I'm seeing is every game teams are becoming a little bit more in tune with Juwan's offense, with Michigan's strengths and weaknesses, so they're going to have to keep evolving. And, and that post game and the play of Franz Wagner are two areas that I think are going to get better and better. I, I think, you know, I think, I think that John Teske, uh, you know, with one-on-one in the post is, is going to be, if it isn't already, uh, the, the toughest thing for opponents to stop. That's when you get it to him. <laughs> That's right. key, key but, being getting him the basketball. But, I know, I know it didn't work out that way versus Oregon. I'm just saying on balance, I think on this team, and at times where they're limited, you know, the, the highest percentage shot or the best look they can get will be John Teske. And the toughest well, thing for them to stop would be John Teske in the post. Yeah. And, and you know, to start the Oregon game, there, there was a play that I really liked where, and it was something that, that the Heat used to do with Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning, where, you know, pass to the wing, um, basket cut by Hardaway, who is playing the role of Simpson. And then you set a cross for John Teske, who comes across and should be pretty clear. And the I, I think it was Livers, and he had a very poor passing angle. The ball needs to come from a 45-degree angle on the wing. And it was picked off, and they never, ever went back to anything in the post to Teske. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think if, if that play was run correctly, you know, Tes Teske might get a bucket and get into the feel-good zone early, and it, it may change the whole trajectory of his game. So, yeah, it, it's fun to watch this evolve. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's fun to watch for you. It's fun to watch for me. Uh, you know, I know you had a chance to to catch up with John Beeline recently, you know, and he, coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know they're having a tough go of it, but is it fun for him to watch his old team? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, Sam, I, I, um, I had a really interesting conversation with Coach Beeline after the Michigan-Oregon game on Saturday. And we spoke at length, and, and it was really fascinating. I had not spoken to him since the first game of the year. What was that, November, I think, App State. And, and I asked him after the game, what, what did you think of Michigan-Oregon today? And he smiled and said, I couldn't watch it. And and he said that it was really similar to when his sons were playing. He had a hard time watching them as well. So he um, he said that he went for a long walk during the Michigan game and, and kind of followed it along the way. He said his Michigan guys are like sons, and, and he, just, he just cannot watch them. Um, he did mention that he's paid really close attention, and he's incredibly proud of how they're doing, and he specifically – acknowledged Eli Brooks and Brandon Johns and David DeJulius, those three. And, and he pointed out that each of them could have left, but they've been resilient and they continue to grow and develop. And, and he, he, um, he, he also put a lot 
of emphasis on the importance of of developing those those you know those foundational players, the guys that become juniors and seniors. And he said one of the things that he really noticed in college basketball is everybody's so focused on one and dones and bringing in high rated freshman recruits. And he, he really thinks that it's, it's important for, for, for coaches around college basketball to really embrace the fact that, that those juniors and seniors are the guys that get you to the NCAA tournament and beyond. And, and so it was, it was a good conversation. He also, Sam, he, um, he said he's really enjoyed his, his NBA journey so far and really misses everybody in Ann Arbor. So what a, what a class guy and an amazing coach. And I'm so happy that he's getting a chance to chase this dream. You know, before we get into the mailbag, Tim, I want to take an opportunity to turn your attention to a couple of Big Ten games really, really quickly, uh, really seizing upon some, some things you talked about. First of all, with Rutgers, uh, you, you made the point in our Big Ten preview that Rutgers is not the doormat that, we, that we're used to seeing, that Rutgers is a team – where they're going to be a tougher, you know, a tougher team to, to to put down, especially on their home floor. And they just took down Seton Hall by 20 points with Ron Harper Jr. having a big game. But, you know, they get in, they really forced, uh, they really forced uh, Seton Hall into a really poor uh, shooting night and, uh, and got a really quality victory over there at the rack. I, I, I just find it really interesting how the big 10 is evolving and and what do you think about this this might be the first year that i can remember that no big 10 teams and their coaches are on the hot seat um i i can you think of anybody that's i can't no i mean minnesota knocks off ohio state that would have probably been number one um steve peichel is is a really good coach i like geo baker i think they've got good guard play Nebraska has a brand new coach in Fred Hoiberg, so he's going to get some time to, to bring in his players. And nobody can win on the road in the Big Ten, so I am um, I'm I'm really enjoying the start to this season. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned you, you mentioned Minnesota downing, uh, you know, downing Ohio State. Uh, they did a good job on Caleb Wesson in that game, uh, but the the guy who just jumps off. Uh, and it's a it's a guy that uh, Big Ten fans are we got to get used to, got to get to know. A, a transfer from Pitt, Marcus Carr was on fire in that game. Tim just uh, you know, whether it was going to the rim, deep threes, thirty five points. They just had, Ohio State had no answer for him. No, and and I I also think that a home team's energy level is ramped up twenty percent more, and that 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 paid. A huge, huge difference. Um, Oturu is a tough matchup for Wesson. Um, I, I think that the Patino system in that building, which is so unique and gets so loud, is going to make Minnesota dangerous. You know, we, we might have everybody, you know, at a 500 record <laughs> because <laughs> nobody can win on the road. It'll, it'll be a crazy thing to watch. All right, Tim. So let's get into, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, your first question comes from Northern Gent over on the MichiganInsider.com. says, Tim, what do you make of the amount of zone Michigan plays? I don't follow Martelli much. So is this a Juwan thing or a Martelli thing? No, Phil Martelli, to me, was 100% man-to-man at St. Joe's. Um, you know, I probably broadcast 10 to 12 of his games over the years, and I don't think I've ever seen him play zone. Um, I think that that it's a Jawan thing, and I and I think it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like a baseball pitcher having some good off-speed stuff, a nice curveball, knuckleball, you know, something that just makes the opponent prepare a little bit more. It's like if you run some option in football, it's just something else for for the the defensive coordinator to have to adjust to. If you throw zone, you know, every day in practice, your opponent's going to have to spend an extra 20 minutes, half hour working on zone offense. So I, I think that I think it's a really good idea, and I like Michigan in zone. All right, next question, or two questions, come from uh, Hazer over in the MichiganInsider.com, and this is uh, kind of touching on a topic that we discussed at length. It says, uh, I understand John's had a nice game, but do you agree with the strategy to keep Teskew on the bench for the final five minutes? 
Uh, and overtime, to me, there were two big issues down the stretch. First was defense on Pritchard. Simpson obviously had his hands full, but it seems there was not a lot of defensive rotation help on him on the isolation drives. Uh, Teske possibly could have helped at the rim uh, to make the shots a little more difficult. What do you think? I'll ask the, the second question after that. Yeah, so um, I one of one of my favorite Jim Harbaugh words. Tell me if you've heard this before. Is meritocracy mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> that that you you get what you earn. You you if you deserve something, you get it. And Brandon Johns outplayed John Teske for the majority of that game, and and I think that's why he was rewarded. Um, looking back at it now, what we know that that Oregon made like eight straight shots that that something different would have probably benefited uh, utilizing Teske as a rim protector, some zone, put the Julius on it, you know, trying something obviously would have been a better idea than, than having them make eight straight shots. (laughs) But I am, I, I, I I appreciate the fact that John's deserved to be out there and and I can see why he left him out. Well, I, you know, I, I guess for, for me, if, if I am, uh, you know, king of the forest for a day, I, you know, I would hope that I would hope that in retrospect that one of the things that Juwan would have told Johns to do is like, look, hey, Brandon, be prepared. If if X gets beat, I want you to I, I want you to uh, rotate over and help. I want you to I want you to to try to block a shot. Uh, you know, I understand that that we aren't help. We haven't been helping. You you know, you're under, you're trying to you know be in position for the rebound to box your guy out, but we are helping X on on dribble drives. <laughs> And I, I know that that sounds strange to say. You would that's not yeah, something we, that's not something you typically yeah. say. We're going to help no. X on dribble drives, right? But no, in retrospect, no. I that's something that I would say. I don't even need John Teske necessarily to do. You could do that with with Brandon Johns too. Problem was they were not helping down the stretch, yeah. even on obviously on Peyton Pritchard. Well, you know, without even without even trying. We we just named five different defensive <laughs> options that they could have done, and I'll tell you this: I mean, if if you watched Brandon Johns play it all, this is an elbow at the rim guy, yeah. so he's completely capable of going up and defending shots. It was a it was a defensive strategy to play straight up, and and it works a lot of times, and it didn't work against Oregon, and that you know that's just part of the learning curve. Absolutely. So back to Hazer for the second question. On the final possession in overtime, I'm wondering whether you agree with the play call. In particular, I'm wondering if you would have brought in Teske to run a pick and roll and dive to the basket uh, to help with the tip. To me, having the bigger Teske at the rim on the final play would have made more sense. Well, Teske is their best screener, and he certainly has a wonderful chemistry with Xavier Simpson in the high pick and roll game. Um, Once again, it's easy to second guess. You know, if uh, there's a lot of things that I would have done differently now that I know the outcome and how things went. Um, but I, I do agree with the idea of putting the, the ball in your best playmaker's hands and having him make a play. I would have I would have liked a different shot. I thought it was a little bit difficult. But with, with that being said, you know, I am um, I love college basketball because you just never know what's going to happen. And the, the the excitement and the, the immediacy of. Shot doesn't go in. They tip it out. Game over, and you're like, "Wow, that was that was amazing." Yeah, you know, and I think that that skips over, you know, that skips over the most crucial part of the sequence, and that was the, you know, the inbounds pass. Uh, it, mm-hmm. You know, it, in retrospect, I mean, what player are you gonna run when you throw the ball? <laughs> when you throw the ball, you know, three quarters down the court with it ten seconds been left. Off. I mean, he kind of threw it up for grabs. I was impressed that Simpson got it. Yeah, and so at that point, now now you're scrambled. Now you're off script. Uh, and mm-hmm. so do you do you even get to, uh, you know, a a pick and roll scenario, uh, a pure pick and roll scenario when you throw it in the backcourt like that? You're rushing across the court to 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 get to a shot. They got a shot, and they actually got a tip. This is my point that we keep coming back to, Tim. They got a tip. It's not like they didn't have a rebound opportunity. They got a rebound opportunity out of it, and it was just one of those times where it it didn't fall. So uh, easy for us to easy for us to go back back in retrospect. But if I could change one thing, it's your what you pointed out earlier, Tim. I think it was a great coaching point. 
you, it, it's ringing through you as a player, you as a coach. You know, screen for X on the inbound so you don't have to run them in the backcourt for the uh, for the inbounds pass. I like that. And and another thing that that I think would have been a good adjustment is to rest Xavier Simpson by having Dave DeJulius spend some time on Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, yeah. All right, one more mailbag for you, Tim. Uh, this one comes from Shy Sports Guy over the MichiganInsider.com. Says, as good as Xavier Simpson is, should Michigan ultimately use Franz Wagner to take the last shot of the game? The biggest issues with X taking the last shot is his inability to draw a foul because of his size and no threat to pull up for a jumper. He's a fantastic point guard, but would love Franz to grow into the role by March. Wow, th- things change quickly, don't they? <laughs> a week ago, Franz couldn't shoot. Like he's, he's a detriment out there. Now all of a sudden, they want to run plays for him. Look, I, 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 um, I, I think that Xavier Simpson is is a remarkable one-on-one player, and at this point in his career, Franz is very crafty and he's smart. He knows when to go, but when the whole defense is loaded up with the game on the line, I'm not sure if he is the driver finisher that Xavier Simpson is. Right. Great, great stuff, Tim. Another fantastic podcast experience. I can only hope. Tim, that you're having as much fun with this as I am. I'm having a ball, and I love the idea. Did you say you're the king of the jungle or the king I of the forest? I said if I could be the king of the forest. If I could be. Forest. Okay, good, good. I can see you as the king of the forest. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, as always, man, appreciate your time. Until next week. All right, go blue, Sam.